KRCL 90.9 FM, HD1, Salt Lake City, Ogden, Provo, 96.7 FM in Park City, and on the web at krcl.org. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from our sustaining members and Mark Miller Subaru. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. I'm Laura Jones, and coming up on the show tonight, we're going to get into gentrification, we're going to get into transportation, and the connections between the two. But mostly, is it affordable? Is it doable? Can you make it on what you earn? We've got Axios SLC reporter Kimba Jorquez, uh, who just yesterday posted a story about this. Gentrification is driving low-income families out of Salt Lake City. We're going to walk through her story. Plus, we want you to know a little bit more about Axios SLC and the type of news and the model they employ here in Utah. Do trains and transportation for the masses have a future in the Beehive State? We've got a panel coming up to find out. We've got Curtis Herring from the Utah Transit Riders Union, Alex Cragen from Sweet Streets SLC, and Mike Christensen of the Utah Rail Passengers Association. Stick around for that conversation. Let's do some rallies and resources. You know, Pioneer Day is coming up. It is on a Sunday, so the parade's on the Saturday. The holiday's observed on the Monday, but on the Friday, yes, Friday, July 22nd, it is the Pioneers of 1847 Monument dedication at This Is The Place Heritage Park. And I'll drop a story link in the uh, show notes where the Deseret News writes about how you're all invited to see this new monument honoring black pioneers up at the park, you know, the one up there by the zoo. And uh, the big unveiling happening on Friday at 10 a.m. There is a Pioneer Day concert later on the 22nd, 8 p.m. It looks like. The Bonner family, Alex Boyer, Truman Brothers, Kaylee Reed, and the Deborah Bonner Unity Gospel Choir and Dallin Bales. We'll put a link to that as well. Yes, it's part of the unveiling for the new monument. If you go to krcl.org, click on Community Affairs, you will find rallies and resources. I want to remind you again about Latino Conservation Week and tomorrow night, 4.30 to 6, online and at Under the Umbrella Bookstore, 511 West, 2nd South. It is Intersectional Environmental Book Tour with Leah Thomas and Heal Utah's Mesa Gonzalez. Thursday, Food is Culture, part of Latino Conservation Week. Still time to sign up with that for Wasatch Community Gardens and Artes de Mexico in Utah presenting this workshop from 5.30 to 6.30 at Wasatch Community Garden's new HQ, uh, 800 South, 629 East. Night at the Aviary for Latino Conservation Week is on Friday the 22nd, and there's also a star party for Conservation Week up at East Canyon at 9 o'clock on Friday night. Is it Dixie Creek Day Use Pavilion? There is a fee to get into the park, so do plan ahead for that. All those events and more you can find under the Rallies and Resources tab, Community Affairs at krcl.org. And now a conversation about gentrification in our community. As I said earlier, Axios SLC reporter Kimpa Horkes is here. Hi, Kim. How you doing? Good. How are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for coming down to the studios. And apparently we're neighbors. Yes, so we are. I appreciate the foot commute over to the station since we're talking about transportation later. But uh, first of all, let's remind folks what Axios SLC is all about. I think of Axios, I think of Jonathan Swan, I think of national cable shows, but they have been opening up local news branches across the country. Yeah, so Axios Salt Lake City is part of Axios's um, local news initiative. 
And um, I, be, I believe right now we're in over 20 cities, and we just launched Axios Salt Lake City here um, last month to deliver hyper-local news that um, our readers care about. Aaron Alberti, your colleague at Axios SLC, was on recently, and of course, both of you previously with the Salt Lake Tribune. So they're rating good staff. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the story, gentrification, driving low-income families out of Salt Lake. You know, Bernie Sanders tweeted out today, there's nowhere, nowhere in America that you can make it on a minimum wage, one job salary, and pay your rent. Um, gentrification, though, is more than that. How did you define it in this story, and how did you approach it for Axios SLC, Kim? Yeah, um, so gentrification is basically um, when... You know, new businesses, um, new developments move into historically underserved neighborhoods. Um, you know, on the outside, it seems like the neighborhood is, is um, you know, maybe improving um, as it's getting more attention. It's maybe becoming more hip. And, um, you know, what happens with gentrification and what's wrong with it is that it displaces the communities that were there before. They can't afford to stay. Exactly. They can't afford not to cash out in some cases. And, um, you know, I think something that's really important to um, realize about displacement and gentrification is that it has a tendency to impact black and Latino residents disproportionately. And in fact, there is a report that you cite here, part of a citywide effort. It's called Thriving in Place. What is this? And can you help us break it down a bit? Yeah, so, um, you know, it's it's part of a, it, you know, it's a study um, to really take a look at how displacement and gentrification is impacting Salt Lake City. So the city did it. Yes. And they're looking at it, trying to figure out, because the city under Mayor Aaron Mendenhall, trying to get their arms around how to salvage affordable housing, how to encourage it, what maybe new policies need to happen. They want to hear from the people. So that's part of uh, discovering what's going on. And as you reported, they gathered input from over 2,100 survey respondents, 50 focus group participants, 70 in-depth interviews, 200 students. So a lot of data. What did they find? Yeah, so, I mean, I think one of the most significant findings is that there are no longer any affordable neighborhoods in the city. Um, and why that's important is because, you know, let's say a family was displaced from a neighborhood. And, you know, if they want to find another neighborhood in Salt Lake City to move into that's more affordable, um, that, that's really hard for them to do right now. And it forces them it forces them away from Salt Lake City. Yeah, so there's a study partner that you mentioned in this. Can you tell us about Urban Displacement Project at the University of California, Berkeley? Yeah, so um, the Urban Displacement Project, um, you know, they partnered with Thriving in Place for this study, and they actually found that, you know, not a, a city not having any more affordable neighborhoods. Like zero yeah. is what this study <laughs> Exactly. Um, you know, it means it, it's, it's a finding that they haven't seen in other cities around the country that they've studied. Wow. So Salt Lake City, <laughs> we're number one. I, I'm, I'm laughing because I want to want to cry. Um, I know a lot of folks looking for housing or having to consider new options because with the market so hot, rents are going up. Asking prices are going up. Oh, there's a little cooling, it seems like, perhaps going on right now um, with people who can buy. But the details in this survey is what are, you know, we want to dig into a bit. So you reported that nearly all survey respondents, we're talking 95%, said they directly experienced some impacts of gentrification and displacement in Salt Lake, such as? Yeah, um, so, you know, it, it, it means that in some way that it impacted their lives. Um, if you break that down a little bit more, um, I believe 40%, um, you know, have said that they want to move into a home, 
but they can't afford to do so. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm in that position right now as a 20-something professional. Um, 20% said they had already moved out. That's one in five residents of the city due to high increases. And 13% said that they uh, were on the verge of moving out. Um, so, you know, I guess what I'm watching is, you know, what's the migration going to be like um, out of Salt Lake City? Yeah. Are we just going to lose folks? Are they going to have to go to another part of the country? Are they going to have to double up with friends and family? What's what are you looking at? You and your peers, like you said, this is affecting you directly. And you're not just reporting on it. You're living it. Yeah, and I mean, I would I would really love to see um, more what the city is doing to combat these efforts. I mean, this uh, this study is just phase one. Um, the next part of the study um, that comes out this fall will focus more on policy solutions or solutions that um, you know help with the displacement and gentrification. Um, and I think something that's really important to know is that almost all survey respondents had this desire that the city should preserve and continue to increase affordable housing in the city. Do they have any ideas, the survey respondents? Or just the city's got to do something? Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, um, you know, one of them is just increasing the affordable housing inventory. Mm. Um, you know, I, I again, I'm looking forward to that report just to see um, what other policy yeah. solutions that they recommend. This isn't just affecting folks and their residential situation it's affecting businesses salt lake's very proud utah in general very proud of its small businesses and rents are going up for them as well yeah and um you know i think one participant um during the during the study said something that something like the city is losing its cultural heritage um you know we local businesses are the backbone of our economy and, you know, you know, you've kind of seen that with um, Ken Sanders wrote books, yeah. um, you know, a, a few years ago, um, he, w- you know, he was in this position to move his bookstore. I know that he still has his bookstore and the community really supported him, um, you know, survived because, COVID. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, because he was such a, an important part of the city. Um, unfortunately, not a lot of businesses receive that, that attention. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there might not be enough, um, you know, efforts or, or funds, you know, to support every single local business in the city. Um, but I think that's something to keep in mind. Yeah. So incentivizing folks to, uh, in some way or another, has got to come around. But I also am concerned when I look at the number of folks in our state legislature who are realtors, realtors or uh, developers or land speculators. I'm just spitballing here, Kim, but <laughs> I don't know what the incentive is to maybe pass some state laws. And certainly when Salt Lake City tries to do something innovative, state lawmakers tend to smack that down. So I'm hoping you follow that angle as we approach the next legislative session. But some other findings. Um, Half of Salt Lake City renters spend more than 30% of their income on housing, the report found. Now, the old benchmark is you shouldn't spend more than 30%. I don't mean just on rent or mortgage, but the utilities that go into maintaining that house as well is is wrapped into that 30% historically. But so other folks are paying more. We're all paying more than that, it seems like. Yeah, and, you know, when somebody is paying uh, more than a third of their salary um, in rent, you know, their rent burdens, and that really impacts low-income families because that means that they don't have funding for other essentials. Um, I know transportation is a really high cost, um, but I think um, we really need to look at the ramifications of having a significant population in our city, you know, overpaying for, for housing. Yeah. 
Black and Latino renters more likely to be forced out due to earning lower wages, you report. And another noteworthy thing is about redlining, a historic parallel here. Yeah, you know, when I read that, it wasn't surprising to me. Um, I feel like when you look at different cities across the U.S., you do see the impacts of redlining today. And redlining, the historic practice of uh, banks and lenders, putting red lines through parts of town where they wouldn't loan money, they wouldn't fund mortgages. And guess what? Those parts of town were folks of color. Yeah, exactly. And so the parallel is that our neighborhoods in Salt Lake City, you report, experiencing high rates of people having to leave because they're rent burdened. Um, uh, this is, it's paralleling with redlining from the 1900s here in Utah. As I recall, Mayor Erin Mendenhall says she's got that map on her desk in her office at, the, at City Hall of redlining, uh, the evidence of it here. So, Mayor, time to get busy. What's the big picture here? And this is, as we've broken down the story, folks, this is what you get in Axios SLC. They break it down bite size so you can uh, find the state of play, get some details, what folks are saying, the findings, and you get to the big picture and what's next. So take us there to the big picture. Yeah, you know, I think this is a really urgent issue that our um, government leaders need to deal with. Um, and I know that they're, you know, slowly working to help. Um, this, this state is projected to nearly double its population. Oh, yeah in the next few decades. And, um, you know, I think there's also a concern for the city becoming less diverse if people can't afford to live here. Exactly. And you also note that of Salt Lake County's estimated 148,500 rental units, 98% or so are occupied. There's not a lot of wiggle room going on in the capital county, right? Yeah, it's true. And, you know, as... as um, as that percentage gets higher and higher, closer to 100, um, it just signifies that housing prices are going to go up. Yep. That's what we're going to have happen, folks. All right. So what's next is phase two of this uh, citywide effort known as Thriving in Place. So what are we expecting again? Um, yeah. So um, the next steps will be looking at and investigating um, policy solutions to this issue. You know, I've been hearing about that. I started as a business reporter in 1989 in Salt Lake City, and I remember covering this issue then. So politicians, they love to form task force and studies, and I'm just ready for them to kind of pick a color and go with something. So I look forward to your continued reporting, Kim. Now, we're talking about transportation next, and Axios SLC recently reported an interesting development on mass transportation for a certain school district. Tell us what's going on. Yeah, so UTA is launching a pilot program um, in partnership with the city, uh, the Salt Lake Education Foundation, and the uh, local school district. And they are giving away 23,000 passes for Salt Lake City School District students and employees. Wow, so the employees and the students. That's interesting because we're seeing the news about the shrinking size of the student body, the population in the school district, and what that might mean. And so I'm curious if this is a precursor, a trial balloon for shifting uh, bus service to uh, UTA, perhaps, or maybe it's just truly about getting folks to use more mass transit. And that's what we're going to talk about next. Um, That story can be found in your newsletter. How do people sign up? And then I want to talk about fry sauce before you go. (laughs) Okay. Um, So people can sign up. Um, I would just Google Axios Salt Lake City. And um, when you hit our website, you can just enter your email and we'll be in your inbox Monday through Friday at 6.30 a.m. It doesn't cost anything, just your email, right? It's free. There you go. Fry sauce, though, is the kicker every day. Something fun. So 
give us a couple of fry sauce bits. Yeah, um, you know, there was a um, there was a recent documents that were released by the University of Utah um, that showed that the U's housing staff did not um, report a, a, a slaying students' um, uh, yes. issues with domestic violence. Mm. That's, that is, th- yes, this was the uh, Chinese exchange student, I believe. Yes. That was murdered, and uh, you dig into that in your newsletter as well. Okay, that was not the fun fry sauce that I was expecting it to be, Kim, which is A-okay, because that is the, the, the breadth of things that you do. But you, you talk about cooling off at local libraries, and cool zones is something I'm always spreading the word about. Folks, it's been really hot. Um, there's lots of public buildings that you can get into and cool off. So public libraries, um, county government buildings, et cetera, senior centers, uh, the rec centers, especially when it's been so hot. So folks, please do take care of yourself out there while it's hot. Uh, let's see. I'm pulling up another edition of Axios SLC, and uh, I'm just scrolling down to see what your fry sauce was on this one. Uh, bite-sized news. Attorneys representing Utah seeking to toss the transgender sports ban lawsuit brought on by families of two trans- transgender girls, citing the girls have not been harmed. So you'd collect other folks' news as well. That's a Salt Lake Tribune story. You talk about Twilight concert series and also trade rumors. This obviously already happened involving Donovan Mitchell. Continue to swirl, at least your reporting of it. So you 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 have five or six stories. And it's packaged every morning by 6.30, Axios SLC. You and Erin doing great work. Will you please come back and share more stories in the future? Absolutely. I'm glad to be here today. All right, Kim. And now you know where we are. If you need anything, just you know, borrow a cup of sugar. You can just come on by, okay? Great. Knock on the door. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. Thanks so much, Kim Bajorquez. Uh, check tonight's show notes for a link to her story, Gentrification is Driving Low-Income Families Out of Salt Lake City. And then do take advantage and sign up for the Axios SLC newsletter. Uh, to get us to our next conversation about transportation, how about the number nine train with Dale Hawkins on KRCL 90.9. Support for KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru, a community partner of YWCA Utah and the Stand Against Racism Challenge. Mark Miller Subaru loves diversity. Learn more at ywcautah.org and markmillersubaru.com. 90.9 FM KRCL's funding comes from individual listeners like you, as well as businesses, corporations, and foundations. KRCL has an open meeting policy. The station holds open board of trustee and community advisory board meetings. You may view KRCL's yearly financial report, audited financial statements, EEO reports, and meeting schedule on our website at krcl.org. Welcome back to Radioactive on KRCL. I'm Laura Jones, and coming up at 7, it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman and crew. And then at 8 o'clock, Connor's Late Night Lowdown, followed by Super Sounds with Chovy at 10.30, and John Florence checking back in at 6 a.m. to start a brand new day for you. Questions, comments, suggestions, you can email me at radioactive at krcl.org. Love to pass the microphone to folks up to good trouble in the community as you hear these shows and you think, hey, I got something to add. Please do reach out, radioactive at krcl.org. And then, of course, we uh, have an online archive of the show. Under the Community Affairs tab, just select Radioactive, and uh, I post a separate archive. But you can also listen to the last two weeks of any show 
Through the programming tab, click On Demand, Sort by Show, and Date. All right. It's time to talk transportation. And is it doable here on a mass scale? Uh, Asked the question at the start of the show, is there a future for it? And we've got three organizations represented on the show tonight to discuss that topic, but also their piece of it, what they're doing, and how they want you to get involved with them. So I've got joining us, we have Mike Christensen from Utah Rail Passengers Association. How you doing? Good. How you doing? Thanks for being here. And Curtis Herring, Utah Transit Riders Union. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. And Alex Cragen from Sweet Streets and Other Endeavors. It <laughs> seems like you're you got a you're involved in so many things. I'm a busy person. You're a bi- very very busy Thank person. Thank you for having me. Well, Alex, let's start with you. Why don't you give us a bit of your background as it relates to this issue? Yeah. So um, I have been involved in public transportation policy and advocacy on a number of issues like healthcare and food access to food insecurity, but. Specifically on transit, um, I am actually a founding board member of Utah Transit Riders Union. I was there for a number of years and uh, was appointed to the Board of Trustees for UTA. Um, was there for two years. I was the youngest person to ever appointed to that position. Um, they did a restructuring and they no longer needed a Salt Lake representative. What? Uh, I know. How, how does that I, work? Uh, the capital the, city? The legislature felt otherwise about these things. Okay, Cowboy Caucus strikes again. Yeah, uh, and so I uh, was out for a bit, and then uh, a friend of mine, uh, Taylor Anderson, reached out and was like, hey, we're putting the band together. Um, <laughs> do you uh, you want to get involved uh, in this thing called Sweet Streets? And Sweet Streets, our focus is on people-centered, inclusive street design. And so that includes not only like public transportation, that includes bike lanes, that includes pub, uh, sidewalks, that includes tree canopy, basically the lived experience, the lived environment, and how we can improve that to make life better and easier for folks to get around without the aid of a car. And you're one of two people who rode a bike here tonight. So yes. you yeah. favor that safe transportation around the city as well. It was hot, but you know what? I managed to still get here. <laughs> All right, Curtis, tell us about you, you and the relation to this issue and also a little bit about Utah Transit Riders Union. Yeah, sure, absolutely. So uh, my, my history is uh, born and raised in Salt Lake City, very used to uh, being able to get around, especially before I had an automobile and all that sort of stuff. Uh, took the train up to the U where I graduated, uh, then moved out to D.C. for a while, got used to the train there. But um, always working on political campaigns, those sorts of activities, wherein, uh, amongst other issues, depending on the size of the race and what have you, uh, transportation was always a key component. Um, transportation really is a way to uplift people, to help them get around and in their communities, uh, make communities stronger and more cohesive. Uh, and so uh, it's always been a, an issue very near and dear to my heart. I also happen to like play city si- skylines where I make my own bus routes every day, right? Uh, but um, as far as what UTRU does, we are the Utah Transit Riders Union, where we want to provide a single cohesive voice for the transit rider in the state of Utah. We care equally about managing uh, and upgrading a single street in Salt Lake City as much as we do connecting Logan to St. George. Um, and ideally along those routes, Um, For example, I just went up to Boise not terribly long ago, just this past weekend, and there's no reason why I couldn't just walk out of my home, get onto a bus, connect to a train, get up to Boise, do what I need to do and get back. But that's not the reality that we have. And so what UTRU wants to do is bring organizations together, bring voices together, bring individuals together to start actually advocating for these um, issues um, and Put pressure on. And bring that critical mass, right? Exactly, Otherwise, exactly. it's just the lobbyists and the politicians. Exactly. And so there's there's a definite multiplier um, as far as getting all sorts of uh, organizations together, getting individuals together from those organizations, mm-hmm. and saying in a unified voice, we can do something b- besides just expand I-15 until it's five miles wide. Oh, 
Okay, I just had to take a beat. <laughs> Sorrow and mourning for that. I know. Because it's coming. It feels like it's coming. All right, so uh, you're number two bicyclist yes, on the panel tonight. Indeed. Tell us about your commute. Because you're up in, live I'm in up Bountiful, in Bountiful. Yeah, work no, in Ogden. I live in Bountiful. I work in Ogden. Um, and so uh, last night, Sweet Streets had an event, uh, actually, just down at Fisher Brewery. Great event. Um, but I missed my bus by two minutes. Um, and so the I had to make the decision of riding my bike all the way back up to Bountiful or waiting for an hour and a half to get home. And those sorts of things shouldn't be. It was not that late in the yeah. evening. But that's the practical reality of where we are. And so for an organization like you, True, to say, let's put the pressure on policymakers. Let's put the pressure on actually maybe diverting the money that we normally would spend for expanding highways and say, hey, maybe we should actually invest in communities. Um, that's what we want to do. That's what we want to achieve. But yeah, I take the train every day. Love it. I take my bike to get around here. Um, it's always night and day when I have to ride my bike in Salt Lake. It is astoundingly better than out in the suburbs. Oh, and, really? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I didn't have to think about how to get here today. All the work that has been done since largely Ralph Becker's administration mm -hmm. then continued. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, um, it, it is night and day between train a bicycle just to the local Smiths up in Bountiful versus, um, I need to go 5, 10, 15 blocks to get to an event or uh, an office building or whatever in Salt Lake. I don't have to think about that. Yeah. And it should be like that everywhere. And, and again, that's where the voice of the transit rider um, uh, comes in. The smallest unit of the transit is the individual. And if the individual is not focused on, on making their dis transit decisions as easy as possible that isn't necessarily focused on cars, that's what we start to need to change yeah. that conversation on. Well, we're going to talk to the person who I believe walked here tonight, <laughs> correct? Mike Christensen, Utah Rail Passengers Association. Tell us about your background and uh, about the URPA. Yes, uh, I did walk here, um, although I am seriously considering buying an e-bike very you soon here. I, you, so. You're out there looking at uh, Curtis's, huh? Exactly. And uh, kind of in a nutshell, um, I had the opportunity growing up to live in Germany twice, once as an exchange student, and then again two years later as a missionary. And so I really got immersed in what good public transit looks like. And um, that planted a lot of seeds in my head. And eventually I ended up uh, going back to school and doing a master's at the University of Utah in city and metropolitan planning. And uh, at that, by that point, I had realized that uh, one of the areas that we were really lacking in in Utah is, well, we, we have pretty good transit along the Wasatch Front, but we have almost nothing that connects out into the rest of the state. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I started looking at what we could do in Utah using existing freight rail infrastructure and uh, be able to... Uh, have trains that would connect north to places like Logan. And, uh, yeah, I got family up there. I'd love to be able to exactly. jump up on the train. They can come get me. And right. And also southeast to Moab and Grand Junction and southwest to Cedar City and St. George. Oh, yeah. To talk about the folks who would love that just to go to the Shakespeare Festival in Cedar City every year and yep. what kind of pressure that could take off of the community, let alone the, the freeway because that's a regular expected traffic. Okay, all right, sorry, I, I, I digress, I jumped in there. There's some crossover here with uh, organizations, oh, yeah. right? Lots of crossover. You're on the board at, at UTRU and all that kind of right. stuff. Right. All right, 
So um, also you've been involved in Green Bike or something like that as well? Uh, I, you just logged a lot of rides on Green Bike? Yeah, when, when Green Bike started in 2013, that was when I was in the first year of doing my master's uh-huh. at the U. And uh, I uh, found that it was pretty easy to take a whole lot of rides on Green Bike. Yeah. And so for the first five years of Green Bike's existence, I mm. actually logged more rides and more miles than any other rider. <laughs> Okay. Someone um, has to be number one. Someone's exactly. got to be number one. There we go. All right. So let's talk about um, the big issue. And Mike, you sent me something about what you thought was the biggest talking point. Can you break it down for us? Well, uh, as I just mentioned, that uh, we we have this vision of being able to to operate passenger rail beyond the Wasatch Front and connect to outlying communities and also other states. Uh, unfortunately. Our state is not in a good position yet to, well, the federal government has actually made a whole lot of money available to states to be able to expand uh, passenger rail, but our state is not in a good position to be able to take advantage of that Why money. Why is that? We, um, to, what strings come with it that our lawmakers don't like? Because that's all I can think of. Right. Well, one of the things is we we are just such so much in a habit of just building freeways everywhere yeah. that that is one of the the main hindrances that we we lack the the institutional capacity to do mm. things it, other than freeways. Isn't that why we went for the Olympics in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> right. To expand our freeway. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I feel like we are missing out on a huge opportunity to be able to, to tap those yeah. those funding resources. Uh, Alex, I see you shaking your head over here. Oh, I was going to say, I mean, what what I think also to, to, to factor in this is that at one point we, we had this sort of infrastructure mm-hmm. here in Utah. Mm-hmm. If you were to go back like, like, you know, 70, 80 years ago, there was regular passenger rail transit to Logan, to, uh, to Ogden, to most major areas of the state and we got rid of it we ripped it up after post-world war ii right because uh, everyone's gonna buy cars because everyone right, has the money to buy the car right and we've gone and we've built out these roads and we've expanded these highways and now the cost of maintenance and the cost yeah. of continuing to expand them uh, has shown that we it's it's not viable it's not it's not mm. the the best way to move possible forward for going it kills to, me it used to be when they'd start you know resurfacing streets and dig them oh we got to get rid of these rails too mm-hmm. because they just paved over them for cars mm-hmm. um and then they find and then we ripped them out and then i worked on main street in downtown salt lake when they put in light rail pre-olympics all that stuff and i oof, it was a nightmare of construction and i just feel like we there's something to learn from that experience mike and what is your call to lawmakers who it uh, feels like another short-sightedness going on here well i think one of the big considerations is that it would actually save the state a lot of money to be able to move more people by by well in transit in general but with what i'm proposing is you know passenger rail and it would be far more cost efficient to to move people by passenger rail uh, especially the the vision that we have uh, uses all existing freight rail infrastructure that already exists. There there would need to be some upgrades made, but it's all there except there there is no rail connection between Cedar City and St. George. So hmm. that's something that we yeah. would love to think about in the future. And so our our interim idea is to have buses that would make that 
final connection to St. George. Smart workaround. Yeah. Curtis. Yeah, no, I just wanted to kind of jump in with some facts to kind of give some perspective yeah. uh, as far as why the state is where it is currently. So over the past six years, the state's invested about $148 million into transit. Now, mind you, about 102 of that is passed through money from the federal government as part of the stimulus. So we'll set that aside for a moment. But that's roughly $38. Yeah, <laughs> but that's roughly $38.50 for every Utah in over the past six years, right? In the same time period, in the same time period, the state spent $10.7 billion on total transportation. So $2,788 total on on transportation. Per the person. Per Utah. person, per Utah uh, over the past six years. And so lawmakers have never seen a road that they don't like uh they've never rubber stamped a road that they you know it's 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 almost yeah by and far it's just okay we want a road we're gonna build it um and for some and there are some reasons for that right we have we have built up a culture that is just built around the car yeah and um you know we are now pretty much every lawmaker can't remember a time before rail um really and so this is a generational issue um, but as I feel personally that, especially as we're coming out of the pandemic, um, people are starting to view, um, transit differently and the yeah. role that transit plays in their lives. And so if people can start coming together and start saying, maybe we don't spend 10.8 or $10.3 billion just on roads. Um, yeah. maybe we can start diverting more funds towards actual transit that benefits communities, that brings people together, and that, frankly, is a smarter investment, both economically, socially, environmentally. Um, it is a smart business decision to lay down rail. It is a smart business decision to set up BRT. It is a smart business decision to have bus routes that actually run so that people can move, mm -hmm. have get to jobs, spend the money that they get from those jobs, and live in affordable housing that they can then go and reinvest in their communities. It just makes sense. BRT, bus rapid transit. Yes, sorry. All right, Alex. Oh, great. I, was, I can tell you want to jump in. Speaking of bus rapid transit, I mean, one of the things like, that we're working on focusing on is 200 South here in Salt Lake City, right? Uh, so there's been some major sort of construction going on there uh, and uh, some, some positive developments, but we're, we want more. Right now they're going and developing a, a BAT, it's a, like a sort of like it's a BRT, but not quite. So it allows for cars to be able to still get into the lane yeah. and turn right. And what we would love to see is just a dedicated bus lane here in Salt Lake City and make that essentially a, sort of the st starting point of what could potentially be, you know, a network of BRT lanes around Salt Lake County uh, to really radically transform transit. Because, I mean, the major obstacles for, 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 for buses is other cars. Right. Mm -hmm. And so going and eliminating those and essentially turning it into a, a rail on wheels, especially 200 South, which is a major corridor for a number of bus routes here in Salt Lake City. Uh, so going and, and, and getting the city to really invest in that and sort of like protect that lane specifically for bus use only. When we come back, we'll keep the conversation going. But I thought a little Ella and Duke might be right for this conversation. We're going to take the eight train on KRCL 90.9. Ah, uh, the A-Train with Ella and Duke. Love it right here on KRCL 90.9. I'm Laura Jones, and this is Radioactive. Our panel discussion continues talking about the future of mass transportation, but just transit in general as our, our, our population is expected to double in the state by, well, gosh, I remember when they kept saying it was 2030, and uh, more and more folks coming here. 
as we talked earlier in the hour, it's not affordable to live here. So one of those uh, parts of the the uh, the the math that you do is how much it costs to get around. And joining me in the studio, we have Mike Christensen from Utah Rail Passengers Association. We also have Curtis Herring from UTRUE, the Utah Transit Riders Union, and Alex Cragen of Sweet Streets. And you, you focus on that, that real ground level experience, but if you want people to ride more bikes and more bike lanes, part of getting around is being able to hop on and off maybe bus rapid transit or front runner, right, Alex? Yeah, no, it's all about multimodalism. I mean, I experienced that today. I was going to take the 209 to get over here. I missed it by two minutes, and so I ended up having additional opportunities for myself, being able to bike here safely and effectively. And there, you know, the city has done a number of improvements, especially when it comes to bus service on the west end of town, particularly around the micro transit project as mm -hmm. well, as well as increasing investment in bike lanes. Uh, but there's still a lot more that we yeah. can do, and it's going to require more than just the city to invest in this. It's going to require the county and the state to start divvying into this work. And that means ultimately us, the taxpayer, because that's where all the money is derived mm -hmm. from. Um, I remember the first time I went somewhere with a really built-out, long-term mass transit, whether it was Washington, D.C., or New York, or London. I went to China in the 2010s, and I was just like, man, you can get anywhere. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, no, and, and they, they they've done these these sort of transit projects in a way where they they're using effective land use, right? Mm -hmm. Like you look at Murray Central, it's fifty three hundred south, uh, the track station there. It is surrounded by asphalt and concrete, and there is no shops nearby within walking distance. I mean, there are a handful, but you know, if we Costco, were to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a bakery, a vegan bakery over there, uh, Sweet Hazel. Uh, oh, but, Sweet uh, Hazel, I gotta go check but that out. Other than that, I'm gonna have to drive just, there. But like, there's no reason for people to go there other than yeah. to park their car. And so, with effective land use policy, so going mm. and building shops and building housing within now, an area. I, I remember, uh, gosh, has it been 20 years? I guess it was in the lead up to the Olympics, and there was this whole transit-oriented development or. Um, the TOR zoning that Salt Lake mm -hmm. City did it never really came about. I remember in particular a former planning commissioner who invested and bought a bought a place and fixed it up and was going to be near and could you know have uh, guests and then there's a train right there. Didn't really come about. Didn't work out really well. Are we there yet? I mean, we are certainly building out like 400 south that corridor there. There's mm -hmm. a whole bunch of mm -hmm. transitory development going on there, and a lot of those spaces are having you know leasing for offices and shops and all of those sort of wonderful things that make living in a city like wonderful so you can right? drop off your dry cleaning when you catch the train go to work come home get your dry cleaning walk the yeah, la la yeah. last mile right exactly or, or go to the grocery store exactly. or go to your doctor but the idea of being able to get and use whatever you need to within a reasonable distance of your house without having to use a car is something that is very doable mm -hmm. you know we we live in a very flat area of mm -hmm. this mountainous region and it could also be a bike paradise we mm -hmm. could be the new amsterdam of the west if we wanted to you know, it, it's just a matter of just getting people to uh, commit the funding. Daylight all the creeks then if we're going to be the new Amsterdam. <laughs> the I'm, right? I'm all for <laughs> that <laughs> as well. <laughs> but I mean, to that point, I mean, to that point, one of the things that we often forget is Utah is an extremely urban state. Ultimately, mm -hmm. we are really the vast majority Concentrate of the, popu the, yeah, population, the, vast majority the, of the population. The vast majority of population is 120 miles long and at most 40 miles wide. Mm -hmm. We are in a, and we're hemmed in by geography. That's we're, just, that's, we're not going to be. Stop, stop. Yeah. 120 miles long, 40 miles. Yeah. That, that should be just, you know, it's a, no a skeletal structure of transportation. It's a no brainer. We even do most of it on the grid, right? Yeah. Like it makes sense. And yet um, we currently uh, have had policy over the past land use policy over the past 80, 100 years 
that has focused entirely on the car. And instead of having these biking paradises, these multimodal uh, options, um, we, we have opted to build highways, build subdivisions that are not walkable, that are not rideable, that you need a car to survive. Yeah. And, and ultimately, we are coming to a point, I think, as a society where we're realizing that that is not sustainable. Yeah. It is expensive. It is bad for, we have terrible air. We all know that. Yeah. It is expensive. It's bad for the air. The roads are starting to break down, so we have to start fixing them up again. Those have lifespans of 50, 75 years. Mm-hmm. Well, guess how? Guess what? Those roads are starting to become 50, 75 years old. Well, I'm trying to remember the technology we used in expanding Interstate 15 prior to the Olympics, and I remember a lot of giant compressed styrofoam mm-hmm. going into mm-hmm. those roads, and I'm <laughs> curious how that's going to hold up. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a traffic engineer. <laughs> but <laughs> ultimate, but but again, the, 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 the main point is, we are an urban area, and it's an easy urban area. Yeah. We can we can set down straight lines, make sure that we can get east-west relatively easy. It's on a grid. There's no reason why, yeah. with smart planning, with smart thinking, especially with these roads needing rehabilitation anyway, uh-huh. why we can't start having the conversations to make it better. I know I told all of you you can't swear on the air, so I have to remind myself out loud <laughs> because I do want to go, what the bleepity bleepity mm-hmm. blink? Because mm-hmm. it seems so obvious, and then we layer politics on top of it, and we screw it all up. Mm-hmm. We have this opportunity with having relocated the prison in no small part what was in the argument that it's close to public mm-hmm. transit so mm-hmm. folks can go visit yep. and volunteer at the prison so that's the new the new prison the old prison now is this huge canvas mm-hmm. are we doing it right are we missing no, an opportunity we're doing it absolutely wrong um i mean last i heard there's not even plans to run the train out there anymore what um and and it's and that was part of the sale right is yep. well we'll expand mm-hmm. we'll expand to- light rail we'll make it there listen and now, politicians mm-hmm. and now light rail is not even going to go there uh, and instead, it will be microtransit. It will be uh, VIA is what it is called down at the southern end of the valley, a partnership with UTA and this other organization. And it's just more of the same. More cars. Yeah. And you see these brit- pretty beautiful renderings of all these nice mid-level office buildings, parking galore, and nothing. Asphalt galore. Asphalt galore. Because, again, this Towers is all policymakers know. Yep. And that is why we need to have these conversations now because it is changing so rapidly. All right, Mike Christensen, I know you want in on that about the prison and <laughs> what happened. Do you you have a perspective on that as part of the Utah Rail Passengers Association? I I kind of feel like the people that um, have this vision for redeveloping the prison don't really have enough resources to, uh, or or and they're also not committed to really making it what it could be, which is it's a once a, in a generation. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes, it could be pretty much a car-free uh, community there, and they... Maybe the we, Car Dealers Association is not hot on that. Who right, knows? Right, that could be it, but uh, when, when I look at the, the different consultants that they're bringing in, they're not really bringing in the people that I would want to bring in to, to be able to design it in such a way that it could be car-free. I'm not going to swear. <laughs> so what do the three of you suggest to folks listening and having their minds just like pretzeled here, listening to this, that this is opportunity is going to pass us by? Yeah, I, I would say that if you if you want to see changes, reach out to your elected officials mm-hmm. uh, at all levels from from the city to the county to the state and uh, even our, our federal officials. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, they they need to hear that we want something different, 
And uh, I, I also really like to bring out the fact that we, we have enjoyed a lot of prosperity here in Utah, but it's been concentrated mostly along the Wasatch Front. Mm-hmm. And we have... Uh, we, Utah's population is 3.3 3 million, and most of that is along the Wasatch Front, but we still have about mm-hmm. 600,000 people that live outside of the Wasatch Front. Um, and unfortunately, our state doesn't really have a good transit plan for helping those people get around. And some of those areas that we label rural, like Cash Cash County up where Logan is, and uh, Washington County, where St. George is, they are both uh, counties that now have well over 100,000 people. In fact, Washington Mm -hmm. County is almost 200,000 people. And it's it's also very interesting because we we talk about Utah being very urbanized. Even our rural areas are very urbanized. And that sounds kind of like a contradiction. (laughs) But what it means is that even in rural towns, uh, like you take Green River, Utah, as an example, pretty much everybody that lives in Green River is right in town and you can walk from one side of Green River to another in about 20 minutes. Mm. And so even our rural areas are highly concentrated mm. uh, in their populations, which makes it even easier to be able to serve with transit mm-hmm. because uh, one stop can pretty much serve a town. All right. So, Curtis, you've yeah. got some advocacy training you want to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we are working on getting some funding together for advocacy training. Um, we're focusing primarily on uh, current areas that are served primarily by UTA that are extremely underserved or not technically served at all, but are part of the UTA umbrella. So think uh, the Roy's of the world, uh, the the Hoopers, the west side, basically the west-west side. We're also focusing on communities that are historically – um, not part of the table, so communities such as Rose Park, Glendale, um, and some of the west side of uh, the valley. And we want to start actually training people and educating people on how to talk to a lawmaker, right? How do you actually talk to a policymaker? Who do you talk to, right? Where, where do we start? Who do you talk to? Where, where do we start at the community level? Where do we start? And so we want to really train people on this is how you get on a community council. This is where you show up to your personalized meetings. It'll be personalized to their location. Um, who are the people that are making the decision? What is, what, how does UTA function? Uh, how does the budgeting process of the city and the county function as it relates to transit? Mm-hmm. And here are the list of people that you talk to, and this is how you talk to them. Um, this is how you respond. This is how you act. Uh, because let's face it, politicians speak their own language. Yeah. And if you know how to start getting through that message uh, and training more and more people to get more and more involved, Ultimately, we bring all of these communities together, all of these interests together as a single unifying force that can say, we want something different, we demand something different, and suddenly you've created a voting block that uh, politicians can ignore at their own risk. That's Utah Transit Riders Union. So is there are there some dates coming up? or is it No more dates about- yet. We're still okay. working on getting everything put right. together, get some funding, but yeah. it is coming. We are going to make it happen. Well, and Sweet Streets had success. You got the Salt Lake City to say, yeah, we're going to slow down the residential streets to 20 miles an hour. I know. We've been really excited, and we're really appreciative of the council and the mayor uh, for their backing of that decision, and, and uh, we're looking forward to the rollout of that. Uh, that being said, there are still a number of c- uh, city streets that could be slowed down. There are mm-hmm. like collector roads, so, so the roads that get people to uh, the highway. Or, so, uh, uh, so going and focusing on potential uh, slowing of those roads. We also are looking at things like crossing times on state-owned roads, so like 700 East in Salt Lake City. The reason why it, it is so awful to, tr- 
to get around on 700 East as a pedestrian is that our walk times on those streets are incredibly short in comparison yeah. to the national average. It is almost impossible. They're still giant streets yeah. to cross. Yeah, so. as like as an able-bodied person, mm -hmm. I just I am have difficulty crossing those roads, and so going and building, you know, people power within Salt Lake City to focus on these issues. So. Yeah. We're, we're, if you're interested in getting involved, find us at sweetstreets.org. You, know, you can find us on Twitter. We're, we're very active there. Not so much on Facebook these days, but we're working <laughs> on that. Um, but find us. We, we, we want to hear from you. We, wanna, we want to empower folks. We want to get them involved. And we want to, you know, whether get them on a board or a, involved in a community council, we, we are here for all things related to transportation and better living, whether that's shade, crossing times. Bark, sorry, bike parking, like whatever uh, sort of that, that lived environment is, that, uh, that's what we're all about. So. Well, and folks can also find you, not this weekend, but next, July 30th at the downtown Salt Lake City Farmer's Market. Yep, and we'll be there. We'll be tabling at the nonprofit section. So it's like the west end of the, of the, the Farmer's Market. And then we'll be there every, uh, at least once a week for the next couple months. Yeah, so. so folks, if this is your issue, these are three groups in our community that you can get involved with. I know we talk a lot about um, you know, uh, redistricting and voting and League of Women Voters. Maybe this is your issue and this is where you're ready to get up and get involved in doing some advocacy. So, Curtis, yeah. um, what else is coming up for Utah Transit Riders Union especially? Are you, are you watching the legislative, the interim session and preparing for the yeah, session? Yeah, no, I mean, we're definitely, like, watching... Uh, uh, so one of the big things that like came out of the last one was the study announcing that the free fare forever uh, is one of the discussions that is starting to take place. And so we want to start following that. Making, well, we already are following it, but making sure that we're kind of staying on top of that. Uh, we've, we're also starting conversations with uh, UTA to make sure that we are um, getting out there, making sure that they know where we are at. We are, we, I like to say that we are adversarial allies <laughs> to I UTA. Like um, and microtransit is and something you trying is something. to get the word out of. Yeah, so microtransit, very uh, hot button issue. Basically, it's an Uber for um, certain communities. UTA is expanding it. Uh, we are very much interested on in seeing how effective it is. It, it, it's this weird balance between, yes, it serves communities, but it also has extremely low ridership. And so the question is, is will this actually be a way to get people onto more fixed route systems? Is this a way that actually will help encourage overall ridership? We don't know, but we want to make sure we are at the table and part of those conversations. So if you're out there and you're listening uh, and you're currently taking it, because it exists in certain parts of the Valley already, um, let us know what your experiences are. Go to utru.org. Let us know. Become a member. Sign up. Subscribe. Because we want to hear the stories. We want to know the good, the bad, the ugly, warts and all. Well, and we one of the big uglies is that it doesn't happen uh, often enough. Yes. Transit. Frequency like, is a huge problem. Um, and so one of the other things that we're advocating for, lawmakers love cutting ribbons right they love cutting <laughs> ribbons but they, yeah exactly but they don't necessarily care about does the 470 have enough bus drivers to get yeah. frequency and frankly lately it has not yeah. uta is having a very big problem actually getting drivers uh, and so if we can put pressure on lawmakers and policymakers to say hey let's make sure we're funding transit organizations so that they can actually hire people Right. And so we want to start increasing advocacy on that and awareness to uh, members as well, yeah. because often they don't even realize what the issues are. Well, Mike, over at Utah Rail Passengers Association, I, I just wanted to bring up something really quickly. Um, some trends that I'm concerned about, which would be millennials who aren't particularly and younger interested in buying a car because it costs so much. But then also, are we going to get to flying cars before we get to self-driving <laughs> cars? And UDOT apparently has been studying that. 
Yeah, I, I haven't followed it in the last couple of years, but I know a few years ago that uh, uh, UDOT was actually uh, engaged in, well, definitely studying self-driving cars, but also studying flying cars and drones. And it was very disappointing that they were spending money on that, but not being willing to spend any money on looking at passenger rail as a way to get people around the state. And if the public's watching, they can apply pressure on those priorities. Exactly. And uh, I, I feel like uh, we've made a lot of progress with self-driving cars and definitely have a lot better safety technology now. But uh, it's, it's going to be a long time before we have cars that uh, will have the technology to be able to be completely autonomous. Mm -hmm. And so we really need to be looking for options. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and plug uh, an upcoming event um, in August, uh, Tuesday, August 16th. We're going to have uh, opportunities for conversation in Provo, Ogden, and Salt Lake City. Uh, we have colleagues from out of state that are coming to talk about a study of uh, passenger rail that would restore the connection between Utah through Idaho to Washington and Oregon. Oh, that'd be and incredible. we also will be talking about uh, just in general uh, various ideas, including uh, the stuff that I mentioned before. But if you are interested in that, go to uh, utahrpa.org slash events. That's uh, utahrpa.org slash events, and uh, you can find out more about that. Then actually the following week, there's going to be a big conference in Billings, Montana, that uh, if you go to that same page, there's information on that too, but that conference will also be uh, broadcast virtually, so okay. anyone can participate in it. I will gather all that info, everybody, and put it into tonight's show notes so you can catch up with all of our guests tonight. And uh, thank you so much for giving us your time and coming down to KRCL by bike and by foot. <laughs> and I'm just really pleased that we had this conversation. And, of course, it's not the only one we should have, so please come back. And if you run into Mike, you can also pick his brain about green bike and how to do it really <laughs> well and easy. <laughs> or any of our panelists on how to hop on, hop, hop off transit with a bike so check tonight's show notes for links to mike at utah rail passengers association curtis herring utah transit riders union alex craig and at sweet streets and of course kimba Horkes from axios slc earlier thank you appreciate thank it you. thank you it was a really good conversation questions comments suggestions you can email me radioactive at krcl.org tomorrow night on the show nick burns is talking to sally denton author of The Colony, Faith and Blood in a Promised Land. Plus, I'll have a conversation about Carry the Water's Healing Pioneer Day. I'm Laura Jones. Democracy Now! is next. Thanks for listening. KRCL, Salt Lake City. Support for KRCL comes from our listeners and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.